0: Hi, everyone. Just before we get going, I want to remind you that everything we talk about and discuss should not be considered as investment advice. The purpose of what we talk about on Catherine Murray Media and Markets on YouTube, as well as Catherine Murray in Conversation With on my podcast, should be viewed as informational and entertainment purposes only. Please definitely do your own research, your own homework, and definitely consult an investment professional before making any investment decisions. And also to note, some of us might hold positions in some of the stocks uh, that we discuss. Barbara, great to be able to speak with you and, um, and learn a little bit about, we'll learn a lot, we're gonna learn a lot here, um, in terms of your background as an equity research analyst on Wall Street and Bay Street and how you've taken that research and and actually um, put it into books, but also so importantly as well, just stepping back that you have been so successful at seeing what will become disruptive, not even technologies, but anything that disrupts the way we currently live. So with that having been said, and we're living in a time of the COVID-19 pandemic and everything seems to be
1: changing, um, give, us, give us a little bit about your background. OK, thanks very much, And It's great to be here. And so my research, I've got over 20 years of experience as a sell-side equity analyst. I left the street in 2008. Um, in January of 2008, if, if you might, some people might remember, I was one of the first analysts to put a sell on Yellow Pages. And you know back then, it's, it was a no-no. I, I got fired two days later. But what I was doing then was I was actually warning about the shift in content from scarcity to abundance. And as you know, that basically decimated the media industries. And it's actually ironic because on March 15th, I put out a special theme research report for my institutional clients now talking about NFTs and how they're shifting content from back from abundance to scarcity and allowing companies to unlock value. But so anyways, that's... Um, That's when I left the street. And then for the last five years, I've been um, selling research, working with Ed Panic, Panic Idea Hub. And I've grown a really good institutional client base in Canada. And so what I do is once a week, I put out a weekly research note. It was three to six pages with the pandemic. I've been writing a lot longer. Mm -hmm. And I look at all the latest structural disruption developments for example this morning you know' I'm, t- I'm, I'm reading about how McDonald's is hiring employees raising their wages Chipotle last week raised wages um, Amazon is hiring 75,000 employees so it's it's fun because as a normal analyst like you just wait until things happen or company tells you what I do is the second it's comes out I write about it and I put it in the context just uh, a month and a half ago March 15th I put out a special theme report for my, my institutional clients called uh, the NBA Twitters and Christie's are playing a new game, who's next? And it was talking about how content is now shifting back from abundance to scarcity with NFTs. So I've always loved looking at disruption, and my research is really it's qualitative based because I really believe. I mean, the numbers the numbers are there. You can't make money by just looking at the numbers and looking in silo. What you have to do is you have to look at what's ahead. And so I sort of think of myself as uh, the French impressionist painter Seurat. So if we think about it, you know, it's pointillism he does, and that's what I do. So every week I put dots on a canvas, and those dots over time come into focus and they form a picture and so how mm-hmm. I'm able to gain, gain insights and that's how I've been able to, able to make money for my clients by basically seeing things before people didn't
0: okay so so you were writing about you were seeing disruption that uber was was having in the economy mm-hmm. what what um what what did you see about uber I'm just kind of curious
1: what With was uber, that so I first yeah uh, the first time I, so actually I published a a uh, update on LinkedIn that went, or a, a post on LinkedIn that went viral back in June 2014, and what it was is I it was the first time I'd taken a Uber. I went to New York City with my husband and then my one year old baby at the time, and it was the first time I experienced Airbnb, the first time I'd taken Uber, and when I did that, I was like wow, this is incredible. You know, these companies are creating a long tail of supply that can scale with no time constraints, no capital constraints. This is a new economic paradigm. And this is really, you know, the abundance economics. And so that's when I when I started researching Uber and Airbnb and the whole sharing on-demand economy.
0: Amazing uh, and interesting. And And right now, where have you been focused in terms of, you know, I was looking at this when we were going from, you know, Uh, 2019 to 2020 wondering if we were in the roaring 20s that was obviously before the pandemic Um, so talk to us about your your thoughts and, and the title of your current book
1: yeah, so I just published a new book. It's called The New Roaring Twenties. So just to give you a context, so with my books, so the first book I published was back in 2016, and that was called Ubernomics. And that was really a compilation of all the, of the blogs that I'd written over the last six years. I was on this, um, this journey into exploring the new world of abundance. And I'd started back in 2010 looking at companies like Lululemon, Chipotle, Mexican Grill, Starbucks, and Whole Foods. And these companies were able to create abundance of demand and they still are, create a cult-like following because of their social mission. You know, Lululemon's social mission is about community. So is Starbucks. And that's actually gonna become very important now because as we go into the new roaring 20s, we need to get back into the world. We wanna connect. These companies that have a social focus on community, I think, are going to thrive. I also looked at sustainability, which was Chipotle and Whole Foods. And then I started looking in 2012 at companies that create abundance of supply. And these are companies like LinkedIn and Zillow. And what I saw at the time was that they were building these structural asset bases that they were able to really leverage and capitalize. And then in 2014, I started looking at sharing on-demand companies like Airbnb, Uber, Lyft. And so I, I put out the report, my uh, sorry, my book, Ubernomics in 2016. And then I started um, publishing research in 2017 for my institutional clients. And I realized, I think it was in the summer of that year that all the research I'd produced, because I produce weekly research notes, had all, they basically made a book. So then I published uh, Secrets of the Amazon in October of 2017. And I didn't want to, I did it to give as a Christmas present for my institutional clients. And I didn't want to, uh, I didn't want anyone to buy it to be honest because the research I do is so valuable, but I decided it would be fun to put on Amazon. So I decided to price it on Amazon at the stock price of Amazon at the time, which was $1,167. And as uh-huh. you know, today, Amazon stock price is well over 3000. Uh-huh. And so that was that was fun. And then since then, every eight months, I just compile all my research notes together and put an introduction and, and put out a research, research a book and give it to my clients. The last two books I've done, uh, The New Cyber Decade, I published that right when the pandemic was starting. I was supposed to go marketing in Toronto, Montreal in March of 2020. Didn't happen. So I gave them an ebook. Um, then I published the Twilight Zone Economy or said the Twilight Economy, basically how coronavirus is accelerating disruption in the fall, huh. sent them a book. <laughs> and then I just published the new Roaring 20s, sent an ebook. So hopefully the next book wow. I'll give it to them in, in person. Uh-huh. And it is also available on Amazon because I do want, you know, I do want to share my research with people and it's so valuable for anywhere from like CEOs, corporate executives to know what's going on because there is so much disruption that's been going on.
0: Wow. So there's so much there to unpack. I'm I'm kind of, I'm curious about cyber. I'm curious about the twilight zone. Um, but also of course your most recent, maybe we should start there. Sure. Um, this is the new roaring twenties. Yeah. Um, What does that mean? What do we need to think about? What are you seeing? What what is the what is the pointillism picture looking like?
1: Right. So I came up with the concept of the new Roaring Twenties last fall. And the reason being is, you know, if you think about the Spanish Flu of 1918, when that ended, what happened? It was the Roaring Twenties. And I realized, you know, and this was this was actually right before the news of the vaccine came but and then when it came i put out a note i think i called it a new dawn welcome to the new roaring 20s but it's really you know we're going to get out into the world again i hope it will be a decade of you know decadence i don't know if debauchery um you know basically going out and enjoying the physical world again i just booked a, a a trip with my family for friend with friends uh to mexico in january and the resort was almost booked sold out so you know, travel, leisure, entertainment is coming roaring back because people want to go out again. I think we're going to see massive online sh- or massive shopping sprees, either online or or people are going to return to the mall. It's, I think it is going to be crazy because so much, so many people. You know, if you kept your job, you've been working at home for a year. You've probably saved a lot of money because you haven't been going on trips, you haven't been paying for after school care, you haven't been paying for summer camps. A lot of people have a lot of savings. Yeah, um, and what what else are you seeing though? I mean, I
0: think that a lot of us can, can appreciate that people are, are going to want to travel, um, but from a societal perspective as well, what, what kind of emotional shifts are you thinking about?
1: In terms of emotional shifts, I mean, it, it depends. I think a lot of things that we started, because what happened when the pandemic hit, everyone, you know, ourselves and companies, we had to basically leave the physical physical world and enter, go up into the digital world to survive. And so I think a lot of the habits that we've developed since then, like I doing Zoom calls, um, doing virtual healthcare, that's going to continue because, you know, the litmus test will be, is the digital experience superior or inferior to the physical experience? If it's superior, if it saves you time, money offers more variety of choice, then people will keep doing the digital. But then, in some cases, we will go back to the physical world. Mm -hmm.
0: Do you see, I wonder, though, do you see a bit of a hybrid model in terms of what companies will actually offer their employees, you know, and you think about, you know, women with children, and I -hmm. I think it's sometimes so difficult to try to get to the office on time, pick up the kids, but, you know, I don't know that
1: companies are really going to make that shift, make that
0: change to allow more flexibility.
1: I think they definitely are, and that's what I write about. What I've been writing about in my research. So I think we're seeing this office apocalypse that's unfolding because so many company, companies are even offering remote work options to their to their employees. Companies like Zillow, like Spotify, like Dropbox, they're going entirely remote. Um, they are going to offer their teams the ability to, to, to come together in sort of collaborative workspaces. But to the large part, I mean, people want freedom. They want autonomy. They want flexibility. And after we've had a year of taste of that, I think a lot of people won't go, want to go back to cubicle life. So it really depends on your job function, too. But mm-hmm. I companies are offering hybrid work options. I mean, there are some companies that do want their troops back in the office like Goldman Sachs, like JP Morgan, but a lot of companies like HSBC, they've cut a lot of office space. Citigroup has said, we're gonna embrace the hybrid future. Ford has said they're gonna embrace a hybrid future. So it's, it's gonna be a whole spectrum of companies, but I think the best talent is gonna go to the companies that offer their employees the most flexibility. And it is gonna be a war for talent. It is why, because labor markets are labor, mar, labor markets are tightening. And, you know, the, with, with companies, you know, the, the, the best employees produce 80, it's 80, 20, they produce 80% of the results. So, mm-hmm. you know, you want the most talented employees because those are going to be your most productive ones. And, and really, if you can't work from home and, and be productive and get stuff done, then should you actually be employed, you know? Right yeah what, what do you make
0: though of um the, the pandemic and the impact that's having on um skill sets and education and how does that play out into your thinking about the future in the roaring 20s right
1: you see this sort of thing a bifurcation there so you saw amazon today they just announced that they're good looking to hire seventy five thousand employees they're looking to hire people for their warehouses um restaurants uh mcdonald's is looking to hire 20 or looking to hire 20,000 employees, I think. Um, Chipotle is looking to hire employees. They said that last week. So, you know, on the, in terms of the physical layer of the, of the economy, there's a lot of demand there, but there also is more so, and there's going to be more and more on the digital layer. You know, you need people that can operate in a sort of omni-channel environment. There's so many computer programming jobs, AI jobs, the future is on the digital layer. It's not on the physical layer.
0: And within your new book, um, you do talk about Maslow pyramids. Yes. Why? What's
1: the okay. significance? Yeah. So Maslow's hierarchy of needs was sort of key to figuring out the whole puzzle during the pandemic. So when the pandemic hit, and I still remember this, I was sitting at my at my WeWork because I worked out, I used to work out at WeWork, and it was March 9th, and I remember... I was I was really upset because I decided to uh, my son who was who's in who was in grade three he had an upcoming uh, school concert that he was supposed to be singing at it this was the Monday he was supposed to be doing it on the Tuesday, and so I decided to email his teacher and say sorry you know Brady's not going to be participating in the concert because hello did you know that at that time Italy was just shutting down the whole country, um, San Francisco was coming going under lockdown and. Iran had something like 9,000 cases and I'm like I don't think it's prudent, you know, it's not responsible for you guys to be hosting a concert given that oh. covid is coming. And it was at that second that I realized I'm like we're going into the ghost town economy. So I put out a research note the next day called The Ghost Town Economy and just sort of just for your for your inside readers. So in the book I talk about how I put everything in the framework of these three pyramids that I came up with. And so the three pyramids, the first is customer capital. And customer capital is basically the customer value proposition. And you've got three layers. And this speaks to the Maslow's hierarchy of needs. So on the bottom layer, that's the functional value proposition. This is price, convenience, variety of choice. And then on the second layer, you've got the emotional layer. This is about experience, building long-term relationships, And then the top layer is the psychological level. And that's really companies have a social mission, either about accessibility, community, or sustainability. And when the pandemic hit, I was like, whoa, you know, in terms of the the first pyramid, you're going to go down to the bottom. You're going to go to Maslow's base hierarchy of needs, safety, physiological needs. That's all that's going to matter. Nobody's going to care about experiences because you can't have physical experiences anymore. And sustainability is going to go out the window. Community is going out the window. Accessibility will be good, but it can involve contact. So really, that's how I saw it. And then throughout the pandemic, I used that framework to see How things were changing so when I think it was last June you know the economy started opening up a bit and so I was like okay you know the emotional layer is going to come back a little bit but it's still really going to be on the functional level and then what we've really seen throughout the whole pandemic is that the tech companies the fang companies they have moved into the intersection and they are fulfilling more and more of our needs and desires on the digital level
0: wow okay
1: so much there,
0: um, yeah. <laughs> you know. Because and and it's amazing though that you you saw that so quickly that we're, yeah. we're gonna the a that you saw a ghost town coming. Yeah, that you saw how big and long lasting this would be. I mean, maybe mm-hmm. I don't. Maybe you didn't know how long lasting it would be, but but that it was going yeah. to affect us.
1: Why why were you able to see that? Because I do a lot of research. Um, right when the the pandemic started, I read a book. It was. Called Pale Rider, and it was all about the Spanish flu of 1918, and that's when I realized. And there was a quote in that book, and basically she said that the Spanish flu accelerated the transformation of, of, of the world. And and I was like, whoa, okay, this is what we're going to see this time around, and probably even more so to a greater degree. Wow. Well, I'm glad I asked that question. That
0: yeah. I I didn't know that that it accelerated mm-hmm. the world back in the Spanish flu days, it's, and that's right. what we've seen. In terms of technology today, everybody says that it, it pulled forward technology by at least 10 years.
1: Yeah, five years, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And so,
0: what, what do you see now then in terms of um, that pull forward effect in this, you know, people's needs? Like, I think that, yes, okay, everybody had to run to the grocery store. Let I, I mean, I did. Let's get our food. Let's get protein. I had dried berries. I mean, I really did it all. And uh, you know, and and then it's a little bit more of functioning, and how are we going to see each other? And that's kind of maybe that intersection that you're talking about in terms of using technology.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah.
0: Now I think people are dying for emotional contact and hugs and laughter. Totally. Um, so so we're kind of working through all those things that you just described. So interestingly.
1: Yeah. Um, What's next though? Like where yeah, are the we... next thing in terms, and you can use the pyramid again as a framework for it. So what we're gonna see, and I, I put out a note, actually it was right when the vac- the news of the vaccine came out in early November and I put out an immediate note and actually I held a Zoom call for all my clients the next day. And what was amazing about Zoom is, you know, I could immediately get on and talk to all my clients. Whereas in the old days, I probably have to hop on a plane and you can't go visit Montreal and Toronto simultaneously in the same day and I'm coming from Vancouver. Anyways, what we're going to see is that the functional layer, that's going red. Price, convenience, variety, choice. You know, people aren't going to want, they're not going to care that much about that anymore. They want the emotional level. They want the experience. They want the physical experience. They want to go out and experience life again. You know, this huh. is all about the new roaring 20s. And in a research report I just published on May 3rd, I, talk, I talked about how it's essential renaissance. You know, it's really about going out to restaurants again. It's about going to health clubs again. It's about wearing clothes again, wearing makeup again. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's traveling again. That's, so it's, to pick up on one of your points then, in <laughs> terms
0: of, um, you know, it's not about the, the price and the ease of convenience. What I'm hearing from you then is that we are really going to want to be going back to the malls. We're going to want
1: to shop. Malls yeah. are not I, dead, am I, I right? You are, I think, okay, I think we are going to see massive shopping sprees because people are going to start going through the closets. The other interesting point is that we have this thing called the COVID-19, but it's actually more like the COVID-29. So the apparently 42% of U.S. adults gained an average of 29 pounds the last year during the pandemic. Oh boy. It's so. Is that really? Yes. Yeah. It was the American Psychological Association just published that. So if you think about that, you know, a lot of people are going to have to get new wardrobes up. And and even if you, you know, if you didn't gain any weight, you're probably going to want to get some new stuff to go out. So I think you are going to see that. In terms of malls, I really think it's just going to be a short-lived thing. I I mean, I wrote back in, in 2016 about the obsolescence growing obsolescence of the mall that's going to continue with structural obsolescence you know the online shopping experiences are so much better in so many cases so i do think people will rush out to the malls again but i think once they do it they'll be like oh you know it's easier to order on amazon it's easier to order from my direct consumer um, um company and then in terms of this can be the same thing i think with movie theaters people are going to rush back to the movie theaters but again they're going to go like, oh, you know, I've actually got a ton of content on Netflix, on Amazon Prime, on Apple, on Disney Plus. I don't need to do that. Huh. Same with business travel. I think people are going to be so excited to go back. I mean, I can't wait to go back and see my clients. Um, but you know, a lot of business travel isn't going to come back. And even though there might be initial surge, Zoom's pretty good if you if you if you know the people and if you just need to talk to them. You don't have to fly mm-hmm. the, other, the other side of the country.
0: Huh. Um, you know, just as an aside, uh, I actually interviewed a little known company back in January of 2018, the founder, and it was Zoom's founder. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Who knew?
1: Who knew? And my question was to him, what's so special
0: about your technology? So he answered it. Yeah. Anyway, what what do you see as an actual emerging trend? You know, if, if we get excited about um, you know, going back to the movie, but,
1: you know, but I've got enough at home. Like, what, what do you think is going to be an actual new trend? Yeah, well, the actual new trend that I've been writing about in research last couple of weeks, or actually the last couple of months, is the NFTs. You know, it's this whole new economic paradigm. It's companies shift, being able to shift from abundance back to scarcity and really unlocking the value of their, of their digital assets. So can you explain that a little bit more? Because I, I think that I find that NFTs are almost
0: hard to understand.
1: Sure, so NFT stands for non-fungible token and it's part of the broader crypto economy. So whereas Bitcoin is a fungible asset, meaning it can be interchanged, NFTs are unique, meaning they they can't be interchanged. And so the magic of NFTs is that they're on the blockchain and they basically allow companies to monetize their digital assets, which you've never been able to do before. If you think about you know, YouTube, people putting blogs up. It's really hard to make money on that. But for the first time ever, you could sell something as an NFT and it, someone would actually be able to own it. It can't just be duplicated a million times.
0: And so you see this as a trend that will continue.
1: It's its amazing. So when I put out my report in on March 15th, I had it, what I decided to do was to sort of categorize the, um, the companies into media companies, non-media companies, and new media companies. And I had a list of maybe about 15 sort of developments that happened, companies that were partnering with or investing in these companies. And that list has doubled in in the report that I just put out. And every week we hear about new companies. eBay just announced a few days ago that it's gonna start selling NFTs on this marketplace. Uh, IBM, this is huge. They announced just a few weeks ago that they're turning their patents into, into NFTs. So it just means that people can buy and
0: own, have some ownership
1: of these various (laughs) assets. Yes. So you can, you can, you're introducing the scarcity element because that has been gone for the last decade.
0: Because we've been in this abundance. Exactly. Yeah. With, with respect to abundance, going back to scarcity. I mean, Mm -hmm. uh, it's a consumer driven economy, North America. Mm -hmm. Consumerism as,
1: is part of the culture. Won't it continue to be? It totally is. The NFTs aren't, aren't not about consumerism.
0: Okay, that's fair. It's just yeah. about scarcity.
1: Yeah. It's hard to wrap your head around, I find. It, it is, but what I do, you know, back in 2016, when I was trying to figure out the sharing on demand economy, what I did is I created a database of all the companies that were partnering with or strategically investing in companies like Airbnb, Uber, Lyft, uh, Delive. And that's what enabled me to sort of see the emerging disruption. And that's what I'm doing this time around, Mm -hmm. because, you know, right now it's it's NBA top shots, it's digital basketball cards, but it's going to be so much just not that long down the line. Hmm. Um, What other trends are you looking at? And, you know, I think that companies
0: and CEOs are always trying to figure out how do we get the millennial uh, as, as our target market? Yeah. um and what do they want they like the sharing economy are they going to still like the sharing economy um where where are their heads at are you, are you doing much research there
1: yeah well the, it's interesting so you know the sharing economy completely tanked during the the pandemic because you you couldn't you know it was it was hard to people weren't traveling that much you know you didn't want to get into a ride into an uber um it's going to come roaring back on the demand side, but on the supply side, I mean, Uber and Lyft are having challenges now because drivers aren't wanting to go work for them right now because we still are sort of in the pandemic. And, you know, there's a rising gig economy. They're being reclassified now from independent worker status to employee status. There's that rising risk. Mm-hmm. So that's what we're seeing in terms of the sharing economy. Um, one big thing is the closet sharing economy. So companies like Poshmark, like ThreadUp, you know, I think those are going to become increasingly popular. And actually Lemon and Nike just announced that they're entering the closet sharing economy. And this is really appeals to millennials because they're not only cost conscious, but they're also socially conscious.
0: So in other words, instead of throwing your things out, you just share your your clothes. Exactly,
1: yeah. The other thing you're seeing is on, you know, in terms of entertainment, um, millennials, you know, it's the gaming platforms, it's the video platforms. They're not gonna be going back to the movie theaters. I think they're just gonna continue playing. My boys are seven and 10. They're on Minecraft all the time. They're on Roblox. They're talking to their friends on FaceTime. They're watching YouTube videos. They don't even watch Netflix. Wow. Yeah. What do they want? So, so talk to me a little bit about this too.
0: You know, I, I just started my own YouTube channel. Um, people have no problem. It seems just going to YouTube versus if they watched me on TV
1: before, like what, what is the magic behind YouTube? The Well, my boys, they watch, <laughs> they watch videos of guys playing video games, which I still don't get. Um, I think the magic of YouTube is allows anybody to to, you don't have to be produced by anybody, you know, you can create your own show.
0: Mm-hmm. So, yeah, the, the, pa- the power goes back to the person, really. Exactly.
1: Yeah, it's, a, it's all about the creator economy and that's emerging. Exactly. And, and going back to, um, to your book,
0: um, The New Roaring Twenties, what, yeah. what else do you expect to see? And, and do you really think it's going to be a great decade?
1: Well, I hope so. It, it definitely has to be better than the last year we've had. I mean, it's just to be able to go out again. I just got my vaccine last week and then my first dose, but just to be able to go out back and visit the world again. Um, it's going to be very different and, you know, the world unfolds. And the thing is that change is accelerating so quickly these days, and you know, you don't know what's going to happen, what's what new technology is going to be introduced. It's just it's just incredible to think, like you know, back in two thousand ten, that is when Apple just released the iPad. It's mm. pretty incredible, and then that's what my boys live on these days.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. So so expect more technology, obviously, to be developed. Definitely. Um, what, what's your view though, in terms of how? It, how and when we kind of get through COVID-19.
1: Are we going to be just living with it? And this is the new norm? I don't, I don't think so. I think once the vaccines are rolled out, it'll be gone. I mean you, you can look at the US when I was looking at the stats for open table, this was as of April 27th, but restaurant bookings were only down 25% year over year in the US. In Canada, they were still down 89%. In the US, they were down 25%. In Australia, where they don't have COVID, they were up 90%. Oh, okay. and that's over on compared to a 2019 baseline so it's pretty it's pretty incredible how did australia fare, fare so well they locked down they F- tested trace nope. down
0: that's yeah nope. it, it, it's amazing though you know that some of the places who were so strict at the initial lockdown they really did get through it faster and better versus kind of a partial lockdown Completely,
1: yes. I'm in British Columbia, yes, yeah. Yeah,
0: right, exactly. Yeah. Um, and, and so, when again, when we think about the Roaring Twenties, what, what gets you excited?
1: travel okay. <laughs> go travel I used to travel every I, month I mean from... I actually mean from an investment perspective oh, from an investment perspective uh, yeah so so my own personal portfolio I, I own the tech companies you know I really do believe even though the markets recently tanked because interest rates are going up you know these companies are coming up with such incredible innovations all the time that's where you want to put your money you don't want to get sucked into the value trap of these high dividend yielding stocks because <laughs> you know it's you don't look, don't look at the numbers, look at, look at where you, with companies, like, I remember when I bought Amazon stock back in April, 2017, and, you know, it was at 900, I bought it at $938, and I remember talking to clients at the time, and they're like, ah, it's too expensive, Barb, like, I can't buy Amazon, I'm like, look at the DCF and I'm like, you can't do a DCF on these companies, you know, because mm-hmm. you can't look at the numbers. You don't know what their total addressable market has been. And since then, Amazon has gotten to so many different industries. I mean AWS has skyrocketed, you know, they're now in advertising, it's over a $10 billion business. They're moving into healthcare. So you can't look at you can't look at an analyst DCF because they don't know what's going to happen three, five years down the road. And that's what you want to invest in. You want to invest in the companies so that are going to be growing and bigger three to five years down the road Mm so so stick with stick with some of the big tech companies yeah yeah i wrote in my report about how they're moving into the intersection and it's really you know they're not just going into one area but they're going into all the different industries and Mm -hmm. and it's incredible how like all the fang companies google apple apple microsoft Um, Amazon and Facebook, they're they're moving into into all these different industries, into healthcare, into education, into retail, into advertising. It's it's amazing. They're not just sticking to their one area.
0: We did talk about NFTs briefly about cryptocurrencies. What 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 is your view on on Bitcoin and digital assets?
1: Well, it's Uh, interesting. Other than NFTs. Well, they're incredibly (laughs) volatile, so I would not recommend that investors. Get into them unless they have a high level of uh, risk tolerance. You know, for example, Elon Musk uh, today came out and said that Tesla is no longer going to be accepting Bitcoin as payment for their vehicles. He on February eighth, that's when Tesla filed the the um, with the S one, so he filed with the uh, SEC that they would accepting start accepting mm-hmm. Bitcoins. And when Elon Musk did that, back like in February eighth, the stock of or sorry, the price of Bitcoin went up. Uh, i think it was 12% to 40 over 40,000 you know now it the price is going down so it's it's incredibly volatile okay. so, yeah
0: buyer beware yeah perhaps yeah. um and and Barbara just uh, to wrap it up here i'm curious for you know people who are listening to this um and want to follow you, read what you have. What What are you? What What's your service? Because obviously, you've got institutional clients and CEOs. Yes. Yeah. yeah, Do you offer anything to other people?
1: On, Retail investors. Because, yeah, in the fall, I started publishing a sort of a weekly newsletter on LinkedIn. And what I do is I t- I share the top level, basically the introduction to my weekly research note. And, and people seem to like it. I've got over eighteen hundred um, subscribers now. And, oh. and then just, you know, if you really want to see my body of work, my book, because what it is, I mean, the book, the one I just published shows you all the research I published from August until February. Um, and then the ones before that show all the other bodies. So, yeah, my, my books have all my body of research and it is so there's so much value in it. It's, it's, it's intense to read. So I wouldn't <laughs> recommend it for a lot of people. But you know, if you've got an MBA, if you've got a CFA, if, if you're curious about you know, all this disruption that's been happening, it's, it's an incredible way to quickly get up to speed on it.
0: That sounds amazing. I'm definitely going to be doing it. Um, And
1: I'm assuming we can buy it on, buy the books on Amazon. Yeah, yeah. it's on, Kindle is $9.99. And what's really cool is hardcover. So before, you know, if you self-published your book, you couldn't get a hardcover version. You just had to do the Mm. paperback. Amazon for the first time is letting authors um, publish in hardcovers. The hardcover is available on Amazon too.
0: Okay, that sounds great.
1: Barbara, we will leave it there. Thank you so much. There's a a lot
0: of, yeah, that we covered for sure. Okay. All right. We'll do it again. Thanks okay, so much, Thanks,
1: Catherine. Thanks.